0: They didn't know who I could play or not or nothing, but I just straight away. I just wanted to be on the team. So and I said, and I played and I made the team and everything. But I went, I went home that night and I'm like, to my dad, I did something terrible today. I did something really bad. I think I'm going to go to hell. He's like, what'd you do? It's like um, I said I'm a Muslim instead of Christian just to make the soccer team. And he's like, did you make the soccer team? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <I'm good." laughs> he didn't actually say, like he didn't. He, it was a joke at the start, but then really, just thinking back now. I was willing to, obviously, I'm talking about a very, very young child. I was willing to change my whole identity to get where I want, Or to do, to do something that I, I was passionate about or I loved. Again, so growing up, we moved back to Egypt. Um, moving to Egypt was out of, uh, it was sort of we were forced to move back because of uh, my dad's sort of nature of uh, preaching in Jordan and Israel and Jerusalem, like those areas. Um, so basically we were deported. We were deported we were kicked out of the country to, back, to go back to Egypt. Um, and again, like I said, I lived to, in Jordan up at the age of 10. I never, never knew what Egypt was about. I went there for a month every, every couple of years, just visit the family, that's it. So I was an Egyptian, I was a Jordanian. That's who I identified as. When I went, met someone in Egypt, I said, I was confused, because my parents were Egyptian. In, in Jordan, I was an Egyptian, but at the same time Jordanian. So I was very confused. When I went to Egypt, I said, no, I'm a Jordanian. And But they were like, a bit like when I say I'm British here and I'm really not, like you know what I mean? With the fake accent. You know? So that was again a bit tough, difficult for me because I wasn't really sure who I was. Um, growing up in Egypt, and just remember I said that in Jordan I was growing up around all Muslims. I was, I was one of the only Christians. Growing up in Egypt I had a lot more Christian friends. My dad was a priest of a, he was like, he was a very high, he was second to the bishop. So I was, I was in a much more Christian based community. But I found it a lot, lot harder to live there than in Because in Egypt, I was labeled as the priest's son. I was always the preacher's kid. I was never my own self. I was never Fadi. I was just this guy's son. So everything I did was under this microscope. Uh, was seen through the lens of, of Fadi's dad. It wasn't just me. So by the time I was, so in those three years, 10 to 13, I felt like my identity was kind of stolen from me. And no offense to my dad, I love him and I'm very proud of him, um, but I felt like there was nothing. People didn't relate to me as me. They knew me because of who my dad was. So again, that was kind of a, an identity thing. Like, who am I? Am I just this priest's son who happens to be a Christian, or am I this Christian who happens to be a priest's son, or what? What, what exactly am I? Moving from Egypt, so when I was 13, I got the scholarship to move, to go to England to a boarding school. Now you can imagine we're all half, a lot of us here are Egyptian and Middle Eastern and, and that background. Leaving your son or daughter at 13 is quite a big deal. We, we tend to, even married couples now live with their parents too. And that's not that's not weird for us. So for a 13 year old to leave to the England straight away was quite a, quite a big shock, especially for my dad's like colleagues and stuff, they're like, you're crazy for leaving your son to go to England like that. He's gonna, he's gonna go, he's gonna stray from God's way. He's gonna do drugs by the end of the first year. He's gonna have alcohol kills. What are you expecting? Of course, he's 13. Which they all had a point. They were all bang on. They were all right. Of course, that's, that's a huge thing to if, if If I went on my own, of course that's going to happen. So when I went, I had this choice, right? I was there. I No one knew me as the priest's son or as a Christian. Or no one, I was. It's a fresh new start. So I was there as this completely new uh, guy who... So it was up to me, really, the way I want to live. I could have chosen any way to live and I could have just gone through that and no one would have been there to judge me. But I really, really thank God for putting the right people in my life and just um, really reminding me of why I was so privileged to go there. So some of you met them, the Lings, uh, they were my house parents there. They are really one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that um, I was able to stay a solid, uh, I was, you know, fluctuating, but uh, more or less a solid Christian in my time in England. Those, those three, 13 to 18 years old are a very, very crucial time for me to, um, to, uh, to, to figure out who I was. Am I this, that, this, that? But I've, thankfully, in my time in England, I, uh, I, I came across these wonderful couple and who really, really manifested in me the Christian teachings. Um, and so uh, you know, I grew up in England to be, again, just my own self now. So now I'm this Christian who, who people know what my principles are. They don't know me because of my dad or, or my family, they know me because of who I chose to be, principal. So I remember when I went to my first ever like, party uh, in England, it was a birthday party, I was like, I don't know, like 14 or 15 birthday, I, don't know, I didn't even know people had birthday parties at that young. Um, so I went and there was, there was so much alcohol, like I have never been like, exposed to that much alcohol. And I was surprised, like I thought, that wasn't, it wasn't a legal drinking age, but you know, they did what they want. So I get there and, and it's just this, and I and I, I remember having the first sip of beer ever in my life, and I'm like I, I felt like I, I I don't know I felt like I did this huge criminal thing. I went back straight to my house to my house like to my boarding house. Called the lings. I'm like I'm crying. I'm like I did this terrible thing, sir. I did this terrible thing. I'm like I I you know I drank this alcohol blah blah. blah. And he obviously he just had it took it as a, as a as a fun thing like it's okay like blah, blah, blah. But I think for me it was such a big deal because I, I'd never been exposed to that kind of environment. And when I did, I felt like I did something wrong by choosing to, to have a drink, for example. But I just really thank God that he was manifesting in me enough to understand that. I'm not saying that this drinking sip of beer is wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in my conscience, it felt, it felt weird. So I, I just thank God that he was you know, in me that time just to have that, that kind of reaction. So enough about me. When I say the word identity, what's what's the first thing that comes to mind is it name, gender, nationality, age or profession or citizenship? Now I don't like to talk about citizenship too much because it's a bit of a sensitive topic for me uh, all my, my whole family is Aussie but I'm not start my green magic different passport um, yeah, let's not talk about that it's, it's, uh, it's tough. so is, it, is, is any of that, do you identify as a when I say who are you do you say I'm a student or I'm a doctor, or I'm a, uh, a builder, or I'm this, or I'm a real estate agent, or I'm a CEO. Um, <laughs> who do I identify as? Is it by your denomination? Is it Protestant, uh, Catholic, Orthodox? What is it? So the first Bible passage I wanted to talk to, to delve into, was um, Daniel 1. So it's, it's about Daniel, and he's a character of real um, real integrity that I saw, uh, and was one that Really kept his identity true to who he was. So basically, what happened was that the king of Babylon uh, wanted these uh, servants from Israel. He asked his um, his the eunuchs, his his masters, to bring him the the most handsome, smartest, uh, without any pers- physical defects ever, uh, to, to 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 be servants to him. Uh, I don't understand why they had to be handsome to be servants for him. To be honest, part. keep it of that. Uh, but anyway, so Daniel one. So I'll just read it out. It says, Among those who were chosen from some, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach; To Mishael, Meshach; And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So the first thing that we see in Daniel is that their names in, in the book of Daniel, was their names were stripped away from them, straight away. All of them, all for, of, the, of the three and Daniel, they were straight away stripped away from their names. Ironically, Daniel's name means God is my judge. So it was kind of a like an act of, you could call it like assimilation on behalf of the king to, to make Daniel become... Um, um, To have a different name, Belchazzar. He wanted to strip away from him that his God is his judge, and he wanted to to make him sort of uh, under command of his of his uh, uh, of his command, of his unwavering devotion to him. But despite losing his name, Daniel keeps firmly roots uh, his roots in his devotion to God. He accepts his he accepts this new adaptation to the environment, but he does he draws the line when there's a conflict with his faith. Um, even though his name and he was given a new identity. So the main, the main verse that I really wanted to talk about is um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If you want to get it out, just so that you can have it in front of you um, when, when we're talking about it, it's 1 Peter chapter 2. So the, the, the verse is really, it's got quite a lot of truth in it. And I think if we accept it, we, 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 can, we can rely on it completely to identify really who we are. And, um, and I think it will be hard for us to, to strive to be those fake um, people that maybe social media uh, outlines to us that this is the, the person that we have to be. Um, so if we believe really that this, that this truth applies in our lives, then I think we will be uh, much safer from that fake person or that you, the, per, the person that you're striving to be. So the, the verse is, But you are a chosen people. So look how it starts with you are. Straight away it tells you who you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So the first word that we can look at is chosen. Being chosen is such a big privilege for us, you know. Like obviously, being chosen in the Old Testament. This is even though it's a, it's a verse in the New Testament, it's it's sort of in the lens of the Old Testament. God's people were exclusively the Israelites. We are not, we're not, as us, as, as sort of, we're not actually God's people, it was the Israelites. Who, they're, they're the ones that, who were God's people. But when Jesus died for us on the cross, we became the chosen people, each one of us. So, he paid, for, by his son Jesus Christ, died for us on the cross, paid for us to get out of darkness. So, Jesus said in John, in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So he did not just choose us. He's expecting a lot more from us to bear fruit, to be part of something outstanding in this world, not just something average, but something a lot bigger. And you're not chosen just because you're a good boy who was born into a Christian family, um, who goes to church. You were chosen because he chose you, and because he was, you were handpicked by him. Um, and if you were born again, and if you accepted him as, as your saviour, then, then you're part of his chosen people. And the next part says the royal, a royal priesthood. Now a royal priesthood sounds like a, such a big deal. Um, royalty and priesthood. Those two things were very, very exclusive in the Old Testament. Royalty, you have to be born into the right family to be either a priest or a royal. You have to be born in, in that ro- right lineage. So, only if... And, and the thing is, the big deal with priests in the Old Testament is that, is that only priests can go into the Holy of Holies, behind the veil... And and communicate with God. They're the only people that were allowed to be in the presence of God. Um, so it's quite quite a big deal. So so for, G- so for Peter to say that we are a royal priesthood means that when Jesus died for us, we all become priests in ourselves, um, and we become part of this huge royal family whose head of it, the king, is God. But you know, but the royal family obviously. Um, I don't know if you, if you know much about the royal family in England they they sort of just sit there do nothing Uh, I mean I'm not an anti-monarchist but let's be honest what do they do they're just lucky enough to be born into the right um, family and they have all these privileges they don't need to worry about what other people say about them they don't need to worry about all that because they know they're the royals so imagine being part of the the real royal family where God is the head And I think it's it's very very important for us to understand that this is our identity because royalty comes from the highest, the highest of highest, the king of kings. So we really need to be aware that we should be living, talking and behaving like ones. Um, that in a way that displays our identity, our um, royalty. When Jesus uh, died, that veil in the Holy of Holies was torn. So this was a beautiful image that, that we were granted this unprecedented access, with intimate access, um, with, with, Je- with, with Christ. Um, And this is something that we can only have through our identity in Him. The next part is a holy nation. So holy, when you look it up, it means set apart. Set apart from the world. Set apart for God. So a lot of us, I mean, I've, I've definitely been through this. I always say, I feel like I don't fit in. Whether it's with my schoolmates or my uni mates, I feel like I don't fit in. Whether it's at work or whatever it is, we don't fit in. Now, we're not supposed to fit in. We were created for the sole purpose, not to fit in. So, I'll give you an example. If I have a, a bunch of Sour Patch Kids, with a, bit of, with a few Maltesers, and ask Stephen to tell me which one's the Maltesers and which one's the Sour Patch Kids. Are you going to be able to? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it will be very, very easy. Before I eat them all. <coughs> it will be very, very easy to identify which one's the Sour Patch Kids and which one's the Maltesers. Because the South Patch kids were designed to be South Patch kids. They weren't designed to be Maltesers. They are completely different. And no matter how hard they try, they're not going to be Maltesers. So we are the South Patch kids of our world. We are not supposed, to, we're not created to fit in like everyone else. It's, it's actually our purpose to be, to be set apart and um, you know, to be uh, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and the city on a hill. And if we don't act in a holy way, we are acting out of character. Because our identity is in Christ. And our essence is as children of God. So if we're acting out of that, it's 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 weird. It's out of character. And the last part is we are God's special possession. So precious that he paid to save you from death by sacrificing his son Jesus. If your identity is in Christ, it is only because of the things, of these things. Because you're uh, because of him dying for us. So that's who we really are we're a holy nation, we are um, a holy nation royal priesthood, God's special possession. Absolutely incredible words. So, so who do you really think of yourself? What do you really think of yourself? Who do you think you are? So when we take our clothes, looks, mannerisms and compare it to what the world says um, we can, and we, when we don't match what the society and media says we feel negative about ourselves and we feel like we're not enough, or are not adequate. Uh, and we become or try to become people that we're not. We try to become someone maybe that, um, that might, might have the perfect image but don't. And so that's what we're trying to be. Um, so in Ephesians 1 uh, verse 11 it says, In Him we, are also, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. In order that we, who were f- the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So according to Ephesians 1, we've been blessed um, with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, grace-lavished and unconditionally loved and accepted. We've received the hope of spending eternity with God. When we are in Christ, these aspects of our identity can never be altered. So, what is the reason, what is the point for God giving us this new identity? Because everything has to have a reason. And it says in Ephesians 1 that it's for His glory. So God has given us our identity in order that His identity is proclaimed through us. Uh, and I think that's such a huge privilege really. You know, and it's quite a big commitment as well um, to know that we are in Him because, so that He can shine through us. So, so just uh, how does that fit in with my own, my own journey? Like I said to you guys, I, when I was very, very young, I was um I had this the, the option of 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 being someone completely different. Or I could I could actually live however like however I wanted to be. But I just thank God that um accepting him as self savior was enough to, to just make me understand that it is him who I identify as. I don't identify as as a as a student or as a uh wannabe doctor or as a as a this, but no, I identify as his son. Um Daniel's name was changed, but his identity in God was not. Um, we can sometimes be called Christians, but that doesn't mean our identity is in Christ, and the vice versa. Um, it is very, very important for us to understand that it's not just by name, but it's about the way we live, uh, and it's about who we identify as. So, are you, um, if, you know, if you know who God is, and if your relationship is strong enough, enough with Him, you'll understand that. Whatever people say about you, whatever social media tries to make you who you are, that won't won't make you um, won't really affect you at all because you're really you're so strong in your own belief in in, in your identity in him. In our society, especially with our age group as young adults, we have issues with identity. Everything everything revolves around our identity and, and what we have and how we need to live and who we are and who we do who we need to be to, to be in order to be worth something or to be accepted. And I think I see that a lot with with some of the um, some some of homosexual that I've met, for example, or transgender. There's a lot of, and I really feel for them because they genuinely are struggling with finding who they are. Um, and it's only really there um, if they find themselves in Jesus that they're really, really going to find themselves and, and us as well. Um, it's a funny story considering talking about um, you know <laughs> my dad called me the other day. It was the most out of nowhere call. He goes, it happened, me, which means, come, come get me. Like, this is crazy, something happened to him. I'm like, what happened, what happened? He goes, I just went to the toilet, and there was girls in the toilet. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He was like, and he read the thing, I said, he's like, unisex toilet. I'm like, what? And he was so blown away by this whole unisex toilet thing, <laughs> that he, he just couldn't, couldn't comprehend it. He called me straight away, I thought something bad happened. <laughs> so... You know, and it's just this idea of, you know, society making us that we all have to be this, all have to be equal, we're all the same. We're not. We're, we're not. We're supposed to set up and set up, be set apart. So my question to you is, who has your identity? Who influences the way you dress, speak, behave, when you're out with your friends, when you're at uni or work? Who's, who are you trying to be like? Is it a famous celebrity or footballer or preacher or even, or a friend? So for a Christian, really the answer should be Christ, and if I'm honest, and I'm gonna, I'm guilty of this 100%. It's not always the answer. The answer is not always Christ. We we always get mixed up of you know wanting to be um, this person or striving to be someone who are not. Uh, often losing focus of our identity in Christ, and I'm definitely guilty of that because I felt inadequate at times, and I felt that the only way that I might feel worth something. Is to be, is to achieve those goals, or to be of those high standards that everyone expects me to be. But if we believe, back to the that First Peter verse, that if we believe we are chosen of a holy nation, royal priests, and God's special possession, we're confident in our identity, and no longer need to feel the need to um, to find our worth in external things, in external circumstances. We would no longer rely on people's opinions about us or what they think of us, but we are, because we know who we are. And that obviously, all of this links into living a life of integrity. Integrity is such a difficult thing to live, because integrity is something that you do without anyone seeing, or without anyone noticing, without anyone knowing. So it is, it is, it's very, very difficult, and I'm completely guilty of it. And I think, really, it's just for us, firstly, knowing who we are, and having those principles in Christ, is that that comes after. So finally, just to to really understand how this identity thing, our new identity in Christ is going to change our lives, and how it affects us as young adults. Well, first of all, if we really, really know who we are, we're no longer after the desires of our own flesh, but we seek to bring God glory in all areas of our lives. For we won't be seeking all these attractive but empty things of the world, because Christ gives us a stable and eternal hope in in a world of unstable hopelessness, which is what we live in. The second thing is we will no, no longer fear the future. And that's something that really is close to my heart because I, I'm always, I'm a bit of a worrier. I'm an anxious person about what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next. But if I really am at peace with God, then I have nothing to fear. Our eternities are secure as adopted sons and daughters of Christ. He bought us with his blood, of, his, of the blood of his own son, so that we could claim our identity in him, in the righteousness of Christ. We can trust that He will provide us with everything else that we need in this world. Because our identity has given us direct access, through that veil, to our heavenly Father. And the last thing, we should not be surprised when suffering comes. But be confident that it will produce things of eternal value. If I say that I identify in Christ, and I identify as as His Son, then I can't expect my life to be all fun and games. There's going to be some suffering, there's going to be something um things that up and downs. So if your identity is in Christ, then we're guaranteed that one day we're gonna identify with him through in his sufferings. So just as Christ's suffering were not hopeless and wasted, neither will ours be. Christ's sufferings defeated sin and death and therefore we identify with him as he uses suffering to put this sin, uh, this sin to death in us. No one not only does suffering sanctify us but it assures us that after suffering with him for a while we will be glorified with him in heaven.